Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them, and thanks for having me on. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows to you. Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Hope you're doing well. This is a show I've been waiting for for a long time. John Smoltz, first ballot, baseball Hall of Famer, Cy Young Award winner, starred for the Atlanta Braves for most of his 21-year career, led them to 14 consecutive division titles, five World Series appearances, He's the only pitcher in Major League Baseball history with at least 200 wins and 150 career saves. And now, in his second act, he's the lead analyst for Major League Baseball on Fox. He teams with Joe Buck, does a terrific job on the Fox Sports Baseball games. He's going to join us on our show this week. I'm joined virtually by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm great, and even better because we got Schmoltz on. I mean, he's the man, the myth, the legend. I mean, he is baseball. I loved watching him growing up. I love him with Joe Buck on Fox. He's great, and this interview is fabulous. He's got so much great insight, good stories. It's awesome. Well, and I've said this to you before, Griggs. I keep kind of a running list of 10 people that I've yet to have on Sports Business Radio after hosting this show for 16 years. We've had some great people on the show in the past, but... Smoltz was on that list for me. I have always admired him on and off the field. Uh, just a brilliant pitcher, always wanted the ball in the biggest of games, does a brilliant job now on Fox Sports as an analyst. So just one of those guys that everything he tries, he does well at. And, you know, as you'll hear him discuss, golf is something that he picked up during his career. And now he's an elite golfer. When Tiger Woods says, you're the best golfer I've seen outside of the PGA Tour. That's pretty high praise. So he's got some great golf stories, talks about qualifying for the U.S. Senior Open and how important that was to him. So really, you'll enjoy this interview with John Smoltz today. Griggs, one headline before we get to the interview. Uh, one of the greats has passed. Don Shula, the all-time winningest coach in NFL history, passed away this week at the age of 90. Uh, he was such a great coach, won two championships, but, you know, impacted so many players, coached Johnny Unitas and Dan Marino, and just one of those coaches who really laid the blueprint for coaches of today like Bill Belichick. For sure, and I remember seeing the statue when we were in Miami, and, uh, you know, he's just a, such a part of that community, such a part of the NFL, so sad to see him passing, and like you said, just a legend, I mean, a, a masterful coach, made a lot of great relationships, and a lot of people knew who he was and loved working with him. Well, and really made Miami a sports town, opened up the door for a coach like Pat Riley and, you know, other coaches to come into that market, which wasn't a great sports market before the Dolphins became big and, and Shula was there. So, you know, really opened the door to the Miami market as well. All right. Coming up next, our guest, John Smoltz, first ballot Hall of Famer. You're going to enjoy this conversation. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I'm thrilled to tell you about a new Sports Business Radio partner who's going to help you and whose products have been life-changing for me and my family. 
CBDMD is now the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio. Many people use CBD products as a regular part of their health and wellness routines, but only the best use superior products from CBDMD. CBDMD has a wide variety of CBD oil products ranging from classic CBD oil tinctures to topicals, gummies, heck, they even have CBD for your pets. From NFL veterans like Nate Burleson and future Hall of Famer Steve Smith Sr. to two-time Masters champion Bubba Watson, CBDMD is tested and trusted by people who know pain. And the best part? All CBDMD products are THC-free. That was important for me. Third-party tested and backed by a 60-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. Look, these are anxious times for many of us right now. We're not sleeping nearly as well. I tried CBDMD's award-winning CBD PM Drops, and I now sleep through the night. My daughter loves CBDMD's Revive Moisturizing Lotion and the CBDMD Freeze Pain Roller for her aches and pains from playing sports. And our dog loves the CBDMD Soft Shoes. And because the products are all THC-free, CBDMD is safe for our family. Dozens of companies have sent me CBD product to try over the years, but none come close to the superior quality of CBDMD. Sleep better, relieve your aches and pains, give your pets treats that they will love. And to make it even easier to see what CBD can do for you, CBDMD is offering all of our listeners 25% off your order when you use the promo code SBR at checkout. Once again, go to cbdmd.com and use promo code SBR at checkout to save 25% on your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. Again, cbdmd.com, use the promo code SBR at checkout and save 25%. Thank me later. My guest is John Smoltz. He is a first ballot baseball Hall of Famer, Cy Young Award winner, eight-time All-Star, starred for the Atlanta Braves for most of his 21-year career, won a World Series with the Braves in 1995, led the Braves to 14 consecutive division titles and five World Series appearances. He's the only player in Major League Baseball history with at least 200 wins and 150 career saves. He's now the lead analyst for Major League Baseball on Fox, teaming up with Joe Buck. John, thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm doing good considering, uh, you know, unprecedented times, but I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah. Are you and your family staying hunkered down? Is that, uh, you're in Georgia, right? Yeah. We don't have quite of the, uh, the effects that everybody else has. And it's been, uh, you know, the weather has been phenomenal. So that helps getting outdoors and exercising and stuff like that. But it's been, it's been relatively, uh, uh, not as impactful here as it been everywhere else. Well, that's good news. I'm glad that you're staying safe. I want to go back to earlier in your life. You grew up in Michigan. Your parents were accomplished accordionists. You played the accordion at a young age, but then at age seven, you declared to your parents that you wanted to be a major league baseball player. How were you first exposed to baseball and what made you fall in love with the game of baseball? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, most of my upbringing was, was a lot of discipline, a lot of hard work and a lot of practicing, uh, an instrument that I was introduced to by my parents, knew nothing about. And of course, at a very young age was playing it. 
I guess at a high level, I, I mean, I'm going on what they say. Um, you know, I was in competitions. I was on stages with much older kids than me. And, and the accordion, for that matter, was bigger than me. So at that point. Um, but I watched it on TV, you know, watched the Tigers growing up. And something intrigued me about it. And I would go outside and try to emulate what I saw with a rubber ball and throw it against a brick wall and, and started loving the idea of, of playing baseball and sports. That, that, that came from nowhere. I mean, that, that, that wasn't anything in our family that was talked about. It's just something I, I wanted to do. And, and, and I'm just so grateful that my parents let me have the opportunity to do it. I mean, there was no reason for them to think that that would be a, you know, anything more than a hobby and it would phase out, but it certainly developed into a passion. You're a parent now too. I'm a parent as well. When your kids come to you and they say they want to do something, you know, sometimes it is hard to not get in their way and just let them pursue their dreams. So that was really important that your parents did that at a young age. It is. And a lot of it, you know, without their knowledge. So, I mean, there wasn't a lot of institutions like there are now and a lot of teachers. It was just basically rec baseball, t-ball. Uh, it wasn't an overkill of, of, of things that exist today where you have so many uh, avenues to pursue your passion. But as long as, as I had my priorities in order, they were going to allow me to do whatever uh, I wanted to do that was naturally good. And they, they instituted the rules for me and I obeyed them and, and, and got a chance to, you know, in Michigan where the seasons are exactly that. There's seasons for sports and you can't play year round. It was the perfect scenario for me. Uh, I did play baseball, basketball and some football. Uh, basketball was something I loved. Uh, thought I could play at the next level of the college. But baseball was where my realization of how far I could take it as I got older. One of the most impressive parts to me about your Baseball Hall of Fame speech was you took some time at the end and you talked about the importance of young athletes playing multiple sports. And to me, on that platform, coming from someone like you, I thought that was so important. I couldn't agree with you more. But as someone who played multiple sports, who went on to become a Hall of Fame baseball player, why is playing multiple sports so important for young people today? Well, the first and foremost thing is that the body's not meant to play a one-year, one-year, one sport. It's just not. You can't have a one-sided you know, you got to have a balance to your body. If you play baseball year-round, there's just not a lot of evidence that shows that your uh, your body and your uh, avoiding of injuries is going to be there. And you know, a well-rounded and opportunist opportunistic kid will benefit so much more that you know there's this theory out there that you choose. You know, people have this belief that you choose the sport. I really believe more that the body chooses the sport. Hmm. In other words. You don't know what you're going to grow into. You might be 6'11 and want to be a goalie when you're a young kid, and obviously that's not going to work. Or, you know, based on your size and agility and different attributes, I think the sport chooses you. And, uh, you know, because of, of, of the way that sports have evolved and the positions that you need uh, skilled players or bigger players play a different position. So, the other thing that I don't believe parents understand 
is that you can't make an athlete. You athletically have a genetic disposition that gives you an advantage over the next person. What you can do as a parent is give the guidance and the discipline and the opportunities to get that athlete to the next level that they're capable of. But I don't believe that you can make a LeBron James, a Michael Jordan, or I think that is so far-fetched that people don't understand that athletic component. And, and I have this general belief that you can give me the top two, four, five athletes of every sport at the age of 10, and you can give them a grant that will allow them to not play the sport for two years. And when they are 12 or 13, I guarantee you they're still going to be the top top two or five in the in their state or city. Guarantee it. Wow. And that's something that is falling on deaf ears because what we're doing is we're magnifying that experience by I, by just rushing that young person into making a choice early on and playing that sport nonstop. And they burn out and they fizzle out. And, they, you know, the old adage, only the strong survive. That is such a flawed philosophy, but everyone's buying into it because the money in the business of sports is so rampant in instruction and individualism that we're losing the kid's ability to play multiple sports, have fun, and be that athlete that he or she uh, was given the opportunity to be. Yeah, I completely agree with you. The other thing that's really concerning is, according to the American Journal of Sports Medicine, nearly 57% of all Tommy John surgeries are performed on 15- to 19-year-olds. John, you're not even fully developed at 15 years old. How is this continuing to happen? Well, that's my point. It's the risk reward and the and the opportunity to gain the, you know, I, I said it. That's why it was so important for me in my Hall of Fame speech to not let people believe the myths. You know, mm -hmm. I am probably the first pitcher. I don't know if there'll be other pitchers that go into the Hall of Fame with Tommy John. I'm sure that the chances go up, but the rate of which Tommy John is happening and the philosophies that people are believing is really a bad philosophy. This is what I try to tell people. If you have a Tommy John surgery at 13, you've got a good likelihood or a chance to return to 13-year-old baseball. But that's it. If you have a Tommy John surgery at the big leagues, the likelihood of getting back to the big leagues is great. Greater than it was if you have it in the minor leagues. There's no guarantee you're going to be better. There's no guarantee you're going to throw harder. All these myths are being only followed by the lead pitchers in the big leagues who have had it. But to your point, the thing that drives me crazy is that no one's paying attention or no one cares enough to try to, to avert, divert this, this epidemic. And eventually it's going to catch up to people. And parents are spending all of their money when their child is young to try and get them draft dollars, to get them to the big leagues when they've paid for college twice over. And, the, and they've actually exceeded or given this young man a chance to play at the next level, they've increased his injury rate so much because he's throwing at a high velocity so young that they cannot sustain that. And it's taken its toll. And I had mine after 14 full years in the big leagues, close to 3,000 innings or close to 2,000 innings, whatever that was. And, you know, it's a different story for me. So, um 
that blows my mind. I could talk to a thousand parents tomorrow and they're going to act. I guarantee you they're going to walk away going, hey, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Based on the inundation of all these mom and pop shops that are trying to create the next great, you know, major yeah. league player, they're buying into that system versus trusting a guy who could have played 21, 22 years in the big leagues. It is truly amazing to watch this phenomenon repeat itself over and over again. No, I agree. And I, I don't think it's talked about enough. So that's why I wanted to bring it up with you. The other part of your career that was just masterful and, and so impressive to me and, and many others is it's one thing to be physically gifted. It's another thing to be mentally tough. And you had a record of 15 and four with a 2.67 earned run average in 41 career postseason games. The bigger the stakes, the better you pitched. How can you become a strong mental athlete? Because, John, again, part of it is being physically gifted, but a lot of it is the mental state of athletes as well. Yeah, I think that's another component we don't put into the athlete as an organization, as an entity that's trying to develop uh, athletes and, and the whole person of the athlete. There is the mind, body, soul, right? And I think the biggest thing is, is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. I really don't because you have a limit put on you because of those uh, fail, fear to failure thing. And I think growth happens when you fail and growth happens when you're not afraid. And, and as a year early uh, youngster, I was never afraid of the moment. I created it in my mind. I played that ball against the wall and, and I was in game sevens all the time. And, and not that that's a recipe for success just because you think it, but if you're not prepared for that moment and you don't want it and you don't have that ability to just stare failure right in the face, I don't think you can re re rise to that occasion. And I've always been that kind of thinker. I've always been the guy, give me the, I want to make the shot. You know, I want to throw the pitch. Uh, I'll drive the car. Um, and, and, and learning those things about yourself go a long way for when you're in the moment and being pinched by pressure. And I, I relished it. I loved it. I wish every game was like that. I wish I could have pitched every regular season game. But what people don't understand is that adrenaline, attention to detail, and the effort level goes way up. So there's no way I could have pitched 35 postseason games in a regular season game. No possible way. Don't think I could have gotten through 15 of them. But when you get to that time of the year and there is no tomorrow and you're not guaranteed another start, that is the effort that I used to put into one particular postseason game as a as a paired, as opposed to a regular season game. And it, it definitely benefited me and my ability to go to the next level and increase my velocity and spin it even tighter. Uh, that's where my talent came out, I believe, at the best time of the year and I wanted it, and it didn't matter what had happened going into the end of the season. I could have won 10 in a row or lost 10 in a row. It wasn't going to change my view on that particular that start that I was about to have because that's a total different season. It means absolutely nothing uh, when the season's over. It means everything when you're playing in that postseason game. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere with any device. Today, that dream is reality, and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. 
Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. From 5G and CBRS to DAS and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. All right. Like you said, you pitched in some big game sevens. I'm interested in process, especially from people at the top of their, uh, you know, game like you. It's a game seven. What does your process look like? I mean, I see, you know, people like you charting pitches in the dugout and the games before. When does your process start for the next start? Yeah, and that's where each person is different. That's where you're going to get the personality that comes in that plays out differently for each person. I know people who have pitched the game the night before in their mind, and they go to bed, and they think about every single nuance. I didn't like doing that. I didn't like thinking about pitching till I had to. I could sleep till 1 o'clock in the afternoon the day that I would pitch. I, I basically would go to bed and sleep till I woke up, and I would store up all my energy and all my abilities for that one moment to make the 130 best decisions of my life. Because that's what it comes down to, making 130 decisions. And that's about how many pitches I would throw in a postseason game. And to do that for me, I had to stay totally relaxed. And to be totally relaxed, I didn't think about baseball and pitching until I had to. And that usually started in the bullpen. Now, I had my idea about the hitters, and I did all my you know information and study beforehand. But not to the point where it was driving me crazy that I was over-preparing. Over, uh, I traditionally, during big games, would take a nap right before the game. So I'd get to the stadium, let's say at 4 o'clock, games at 7, and I would do my, you know, play cards or try to just sit around and watch TV. And then there would be a point where, I don't know, about an hour, hour and a half before the game, I'd lay on the training group table, and that was the most relaxed that I would be for that entire day. And then people used to look at me going, how could you do that? How could you take a nap on game 7? And I did every one of them. I pitched three of them. I missed the pregame speech, I think, by Ted Turner. I was on the ta- you know training room table. I'd set the little uh, timer, and I'd wake up and, and, and get ready for what was going to be what I think the most enjoyable game of my life. And, and they were. I was intense. I was locked in. But, you know, I did not hear the crowd, and I did not hear it at the volume that it was at. My philosophy of pitching in those games, I pitched uh, uh, all three of them, or two of them on the road, in hostile environments. And I would always say, keep the crowd to a dull roar. If it's a dull roar, you're doing your job. If it's an emphatic roar, that means things are happening that are going to start getting crazy, and that means you're not doing your job. So fortunately, I was able to do that and slow my heartbeat and be able to be in what I would call pitcher-catcher zone, just a tunnel, and the hitter was insignificant most of the time when I would be in those battles. I love that. Thanks for describing that. You played with Tom Glavin for 15 years, with Greg Maddox for 10 years. I think the best trio in, in Major League Baseball history. Um, I watched a lot of your games, and one of the things that struck me is 
you guys were also friendly, but it also seemed like you were each trying to one up each other on the next start. And you had this friendly competition going. Do you ever look back and say, I wonder what my career would have looked like if I didn't play with Glavin and Maddox? Because I think you playing with them and them playing with you made each of the three of you better. Would you agree? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, we had this unspoken um, tenacity, but we didn't have an ego that was in the forefront because if it would have been, that would have not worked for all of us. I mean, we had so much fun and the time we spent together on and off the field was uh, priceless to this day learned a lot nobody pitched like each other i was a you know if, if i had to give you a description of how it went in our careers glavin and maddox took turns driving the car and i was always in the back seat hmm. and then the postseason would come around and then i could go okay guys my turn because you guys have been hall of famers your career and I knew they were headed to the Hall of Fame after about seven years. Whereas I was the guy with all the talent. And I was the guy that basically had to always live up to an expectation that was not only far-fetched for myself, but everybody else thought I was supposed to be better and do more with what I had. And when you have Glavin and Maddox and doing what they're doing, they're the Picasso, right? They're the ones that are thought of as pitchers because they don't have the stuff that I had. So I had the burden of stuff, but then I proved to people over the course of my career that I actually was a pitcher with stuff. Yeah, I was wild and untamed a little bit early, but the three of us picked each other's brains in ways that we could learn something about watching a game and watching each other pitch that without each other, I truly believe we would have never reached some of the level of success we all would have been successful in our own right, but to your point, I think it really sharpened each other. Uh, we had a, a really neat, cohesive group that had the ego checked at the door and had the ability to learn from each other. It was really uh, one of the best times of our careers uh, when we were all together. I love golf, and the stories are well documented that you played golf regularly with Greg Maddox and, and Tom Glavin. What's the best golf story you can share of the three of you, you know, that uh, is, is PG? Well, we had so many. I mean, you know, we we just did things that – this was the unwritten rule. First of all, as the golf concierge, I set everything up. I had the rent-a-cars. I had the courses set up. All they had to do was show up in the morning. If they showed up in the morning, they knew we were going – to a great golf course and it was going to be early that we'd get back and still have our days to where, you know, we could do whatever we wanted to do. But we never let golf get anything other than what it was. It was a diversion from the everyday mechanical grind of pitching. So we would have fun and we would definitely have our matches. Um, but it started out in a way where we didn't know a lot about golf, right? I mean, I knew nothing about golf. I, I didn't even have any appreciation for it. So much so, so that I, my first real on-the-road golf trip at San Francisco Golf Club, I put an exploding golf ball on the first tee with everybody watching. <laughs> and I, I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was something, and nobody laughed, and everyone looked at me like I had, I had just done something so awful. And realizing where I was later in the history of that golf course, 
I mean, we did things like Glavin one time took a divot so big it went underneath the tee. The tee was still in the divot, <laughs> and we put the divot in the golf cart, not realizing that when we got to the pro shop, there's this huge divot in our golf cart that we had taken from the course <laughs> as a memento to show how bad his swing was. Um, but we we all we always got to a point where we 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 got better in our golf games. I was always the guy taking on those two, and. Wherever we went, we had a lot of fun. There was a lot of practical jokes that would be fun, practical jokes. The one I can think of is like, you know, there was a three- or four-pound bass dead on the bank of one of the places we were playing, and Avery uh, took it and put it under the pedal of Greg Maddox, and when he went to go to step down, you know, he didn't see it and saw this fish. Well, then the group behind us was Billy Andre, Glavin, and another, and they put the fish in the hole, with the pin in, and, you know, it was just kind of leaning over, and I'm, and, and I'm thinking, we have a match with them. If that fish somehow helps a shot go in, I'm going to be ticked. Well, lo and behold, Billy Andre hold out a shot from 170 yards with the fish in the hole. <laughs> and they didn't know what was up. You know, they come closer to the, to the green and like, what is in the, what's in the hole? And it's this big old fish, and come to find out his ball fit perfectly in the hole with the fish uh, in, in, in the cup. So we, we, we just had a lot of fun and we, we kept it light and we never let it get to the point where it's going to affect us, you know, off the field. So a few years ago, Tiger Woods says John Smoltz is the best golfer that I've seen who's not on the PGA tour. Do you want to try and play on the champions tour regularly in the future? I know you've played in some tournaments, but is this something that you look at and say, you know what? I might want to do that on a regular basis. Uh, I, I wouldn't be able to do it on a regular basis, but in hindsight, if I had my, you know, if a, in a perfect world and I could dedicate just to playing golf, yeah, I would love that challenge to earn my way onto a level of qualifying with the greatest players in the world. That's the only competition I have left. I'm, I'm not kidding myself to think that I could in any way, day in and day out, become one of them. But the one thing that I have learned in my baseball career is that certain things that I have put forth in the discipline, the discipline, and and the practice, I just don't have that time to do that. And I have a career that I'm obligating as a broadcaster, and in the middle of it, if I can do certain things, which Fox and MLB Network have been unbelievable letting me have these opportunities that come come my way. Uh, I've learned so much about my golf game. But I also have learned that, you know, these are the greatest guys in the world for a reason. That's what they've done. Uh, I'm not afraid in that sport to be exposed, to learn, to fail. Uh, qualifying for the U.S. Senior Open was the m- biggest thing I've ever accomplished in my life. Wow. Uh, athletically, because people have no idea what that's like. You know, in baseball, I was gifted enough to throw a baseball and have teammates help me out, get me to a place of where, you know, my game and my career will be defined by my stats. But in golf, it's just you. And there is nobody to bail you out, nobody to mess you up. And it is about you and Mother Nature and your nerves and the ability to get that little white ball in the hole. So that, to me, is something that I have grown as an incredible passion. And uh, I just want to play as long as I can. And if opportunities along the way provide it, you know, finally I won something. You know, I won back-to-back tournaments at the Diamond Resorts in a pretty good celebrity field. And my next one that I'd like to win is American Century Championship, which I've come close but not been able to 
take down that trophy and then see what happens after that. All right, you work for Fox, and I want to talk about your relationship with Joe Buck in a minute, but you know the Tiger, Phil, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady tournaments coming up later this month, made for TV. If Fox came to you tomorrow and said, John, we want you to put together a foursome, you're in the foursome, who are the other three in your foursome? Yeah, that's always a, a you know, that's a great question, but a hard one to, to fill up because there are so many, there's so many people you would love to play golf with. I always said, when I've been asked that question before, you know, and they would always ask the question, living or past, I would always want to go back. You know, I'd want somebody super funny. I'm a big fan of comedians and just humor. I'd want somebody in the group that's going to make you laugh. Um, I'd want somebody that I could pick my brain. Like, I'd like to go back and, 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 you know, play golf with Jackie Robinson and just hmm. see what that was like. Just, just the, the, the 18 holes of being able to ask questions to people is so timeless and so great that you learn things about people. Um, so I would always want to go back and, and, and have somebody that I could never have been around or ever know what it was like. But the current, you know, current foursomes, um, I've always said, it, it, you know, cherry picking PGA pros is, is like, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a PGA pro. I love playing with them because I'm going to learn something about them. I got a chance to play with Tiger, you know, forever, about 30, 40 times. Never played with Phil. I've never really played with some of the younger guys that are so dynamic. So I would probably lean towards some of those guys to see really the 380-yard drives, the 360s, to see how it's so intimidating when you're playing with them versus watching it on TV. Um, but I just love golf that much that it, it almost wouldn't matter who's in my group because as long as they love golf and want to have fun and aren't super slow, that would be my prerequisite. You can't be super slow. Right. Uh, that I would have a blast uh, playing golf in, with, with anybody. All right, we've got a few minutes left, so I want to talk about your career now as an analyst for Fox Sports. You team with Joe Buck. I think you guys do a fantastic job. I love your insight and your ability to really uh, share that with the common person, the viewer who has never played baseball at the level that you've played it at. But talk to me a little bit about your rapport with Joe, developing that rapport, because it seems very natural on air. Yeah, it's been awesome. He's one of the best, in, uh, if not the best, in the last 30, 40 years. And, and when you're at that level, you're always going to have some form of criticism from somebody else thinking, you know, your team's not winning, so it's got to be the broadcaster's fault. I've never understood that for the rest of my life, but that's always a, a narrative that's out there because Joe does so many national games in football and baseball and now golf. It's just like he's in the forefront of all the biggest games there are. And I got a chance to work with him, and it was such an easy, it's like the easiest gig in the world because he's so willing to pass the ball and give you the opportunity to do what you do best. And I always said, you know, as I've gotten in this business now for the last 10 years, when you can do a game with your eyes closed and know when your partner is done talking and the rhythm of which he goes about it, that's when it's smooth because that's where I was I was really at ease with working with Joe because you know there isn't going to be a lot of stepping on each other and his humor is, is similar to mine and and I'm just I've always uh enjoyed you know even when I was an active player just listening to Joe do the World Series or NFL football and um 
it's not work to me when I get in a booth. It's work that what I have to do is a lot of work because I'm preparing really, really um, hard for, for the moment. But when you get in the booth, all that pre-work just is an allowing me to do what I do. And um, that part, when we get in the booth, is so much more fun than it is work. As we said at the start of this conversation, we're in a weird time right now. Baseball, like other sports, they're trying to figure out, are they going to come back? Are they not going to come back? Are they going to come play with no fans or fans? If you had to call a game for Fox and there's no fans in attendance, doesn't that change the dynamic of everything? It's going to be different, yeah. No, I've, I've been trying to think what that's going to be like and just even kind of forecasting the, the sounds that we take for granted. You know, we got our headset on and you can hear the crowd noise, but you're going to hear everything now. You're going to hear the crack of the bat. You're going to hear all kinds of different banter that you would never hear. And, and to be uh, fair, that's going to be a challenge for a lot of people and getting used to, including the players. And just learning how to adapt to the circumstances is something I've always been pri- I've prided myself on in figuring out a way to make the necessary changes because you know we're all creatures of habit and 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 one of the things that I'm un- you know be honest uncomfortable right now there's nothing I can do to prepare for the upcoming season there's no pre-work that I can do because Ross you just don't know what's going to happen and right. how the rules are going to change so I'm going to have to catch up just like everyone else on the fly and get my best version of myself as the season ramps up. My goals as a broadcaster were the same as a baseball player. Be at my best at the time it calls for you to be at your best. I want to give the best broadcast I can every single game. But it's much more difficult to make a regular season game seem like a playoff game. You just can't. It's not there to be... You just can't do it. So what comes naturally in the postseason for me as a player, uh, I feel the same as a broadcaster because I've lived every moment, and I don't go into a game trying to make somebody learn something. I'm hopeful that in a game I've allowed somebody to learn something they didn't know before they would have listened to it because I don't think broadcasting is about a ton of words. It's about impacting your words so that they understand the nuances. So you can't broadcast to everyone as if they're experts as the same time you can't broadcast to everybody as if they've never seen it. There's a balance that you have to play in there that allows the experts and the novice to be able to go, ah, oh, I I understand that. And so um, that's been the the biggest um, compliment, if you will, that people have given me is that you're, you're talking to me as if I'm not talking down to me and you're not using verbiage that only you know. You're explaining the game and I've learned something having listened to you. And I, I hope that can continue uh, as the game changes and evolve. I'm trying to change and evolve with the game with different terminologies and different, you know, technology and analytics. I'm learning as the game shifts into a different era, uh, how to balance you know, the game that I played versus the game that I'm seeing now and the, the conversion of the two. Yeah. Uh, MLB Whip Around airs every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports. John, are we ever going to see you on social media? I see no Twitter, no Instagram. What do you think? Yeah, my kids have been trying for years. <laughs> my agent. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. That doesn't mean it's not a great thing. Uh, I know personally what it would do to me. And so... I, I just choose to, to live my life the best way I can. I, I understand that all of this started for good. 
and that in this starting for good, there's a lot of bad that happens in the social media, and there's a lot of people just, you know, sitting behind a, a computer or a phone that loves to take shots at people, and that wouldn't be good for me. Um, and and I just choose to to honestly um, live my life and and be the best version I can, and that. If that means no social media, that means no social media. Um, I've, I've just never gotten into the understanding of why people would care what I'm doing. Um, and I and I just, it, it would take a lot more time for me to, to be integrated and fully in uh, with social media the way it exists today. I think there's a lot of funny people out there. I think there's a lot of great stuff out there. But I'm a guy that when I'm, I'm pretty active. So I, if I have time to do something, I'm doing it. I don't watch a lot of show. I don't. I've never watched a Netflix. I've never watched a series other than what's on, you know, cable TV. Um, I want to do something and be active, and that usually involves golf, work outside, games with my family, uh, or my work. And that's kind of the cycle that I keep spinning around. Do you have a favorite baseball movie? Um. Sports movies are tough for me. I, I, I think, you know, Bull Durham is funny. Um, I, I think it, it's it's something that you can – I mean, it, it, the reality of it isn't as quite real as the, the, the what baseball players do, but it's close. I like that. Um, but the natural is pretty cool in ways that, you know, theatrical at the end, but – I would lean towards towards those those two, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. You know what movie, and then I'll let you go, kind of reminds me of you a little bit, is For Love of the Game. A lot of people have told me that. My because, family have told me that. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, you talked about how zeroed in you were and how focused you were, and in that game, that's what he did. Every single pitch, like you said, I have to make 130 good decisions. That's the vibe I got from that movie, is that every single pitch mattered. Yeah, no, I, I can see that, and I and I've watched that with Kevin Cosner playing that role, and uh, you know, I, I during this time, and, and and honestly, during this weird time of our lives, I've actually gone back uh, through the network and watched a lot of the games, the epic games that I was involved in, and and it was pretty cool to rewatch it. You know, I didn't get a chance in my career to watch a lot of those games. To be honest with you, I've seen Game Seven of uh, 1991 now four times. That's not a lot. That's not a lot. In a, in a time frame where, you know, there was about seven years ago, I hadn't watched it once, yet alone four times. And just getting a chance to watch those games and see how I reacted. I'm, I'm actually shocked at my first four years in the big leagues, in the biggest games of when I thought I was getting squeezed at the plate, of not reacting because I sure turned into a grumpier, overreacting <laughs> pitcher that used to bark from time to time when I thought you know calls were missed. But I was more shocked at at my twenty four and under reaction. Like, well, that was no big thing. I'll just throw another pitch because I'm sitting there watching it, going, "I'm getting hosed," <laughs> and, and I'm getting mad. But my my younger version was uh, a little more calmer than my older. John Smoltz, first ballot baseball Hall of Famer, lead analyst now for Major League Baseball on Fox. He teams with Joe Buck, does a tremendous job. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me on Sports Business Radio. My pleasure. I had a lot, a lot of fun. Thank you.
If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and Main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenandMain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Main also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com. Use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenandMain.com, code SBR. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com.